Hey guys, welcome to episode three or four of Free Drop Live. I've sort of lost count. Today I'm absolutely delighted and honored to be joined by a legend of South African golf, a former European number one SA Open champion, Dale Hayes. Dale, thank you so much for making the time. No, it's a pleasure. Time is one thing that I've got quite a lot of at the moment. Yeah, don't we all? Don't we all? How have you been spending the, the, the lockdown period? Well, you know, I'm very fortunate because we actually live at Swatcorp Country Club. We live on the estate. So, uh, you know, we've got a golf cart and uh, we've, uh, my son, my son has, has got a, uh, a little convenience shop going at the clubhouse. Oh, okay. So, uh, so I pop down there, I pop down there, you know, once a day and have a chat, chat to him and stuff like that. And uh, mm. so, you know, I do get around now that we can walk, we can, we obviously are walking on the golf course and, uh, so uh, you know, listen. It's 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 been probably ninety nine percent better for us, or for me and my family, than it has been for most other people in South Africa. You know, you've just got to you've got to obviously just have empathy for a lot of the people that uh, you know uh, are in shacks and and uh, are sharing rooms and aren't, aren't able to to get out and stuff like that because it's it's a nightmare for them. Yeah, it's, it's not, not easy at all. Um, I mean, I don't want to take up too much of your time because as much as we do have a lot of it, I'm sure you, you're quite busy. So I'm, I'm curious, in terms of your golf career, when did you realize that you, you, know, you had something special and, and you were a pretty, pretty good player? Well, you know, I, obviously I, my father was the professional at Swatko. So uh, he... he uh, you know, uh, we lived on the golf course. I was born on, right next to the fourth tee. My my eldest brother played for South Africa as an amateur and turned professional. So, you know, golf was in our blood. And I mean, I probably started playing golf when I was, you know, four, four and a half years old. And, you know, for me, you know, uh, I always took golf, even from a young age. I mean, golf was a serious thing for me. It wasn't kind of a thing where you ran around and smashed the ball sideways and stuff like that. I mean, even mm. from a young age, it was all about scoring and, you know, trying to play better and trying to improve and stuff. And I think, you know, from the time I was a junior, I mean, I played uh, a lot of people that live in Cape Town would know Robbie Chapman very well. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dennis Brains, who ran the PGA for years. Now, both Dennis and, and Robbie Chapman were two of the top junior golfers in South Africa. And they're sort of a little bit older than I was, you know, a year or two older than I was. But... Um, they were the guys that I, you know, I played against, and both of them were terrific. Robbie Chapman was probably the best 10, 11, 12 year old golfer that South Africa's ever had. I mean, he was really? fantastic at that age. He was absolutely, he was fantastic. And uh, Dennis Brains, when Dennis was sort of 15, 16, he was also a terrific player. At, in one junior tournament at, at, at Swatkop, at my home course, I shot 138 for two rounds, and he beat me. <laughs> He shot 136, and as, that was as a 15-year-old. You know, I was 14, and he was 15. Yeah. So you know, the golf was the golf was terrific, and it was you know that's how you improve. You improve by playing with people that are better than you. That's mm. how you learn. You know, a lot of people ask about Zimbabwe. Why Zimbabwe? 
you know, produced all those wonderful players. They produced all the wonderful players because there were guys like George Harvey and Teddy Weber, and they were all mm. trying to beat them. And then the pros they had were Simon Hopday and Moose Gammon and one or two yes. others. And they were trying to beat these guys. So, you know, they had something to look forward to, something to strive for. And I think that's very important when you're young. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you sort of, in a way, you kind of feed off each other. I mean, if you look at the whole Louis and Charles situation, I mean, Louis winning the Open in 2010 and then Charles winning the Masters the next year sort of shows you that once you see your mates do it, you, you realise that you can too. Absolutely, you know, and, and, and that's a great example because the two of them also met when they were, were young junior golfers and the two of them have fed off each other and, and improved, you know, alongside mm. each other for, well, up to, up to today. Yeah. And exactly the same happened with Richard Ernie. Yes. Now, you know, Gary Player and Bobby Locke were the exceptions because both of them were really outstanding, especially Bobby Locke, you know, and just so much better than anybody else in this country. Gary, not so much because you did have, you know, players like Dennis Hutchinson and Harold Henning and Trevor Wilkes and, you know, a number of other good players. But Gary was clearly the best of the lot. But yeah. um, you know, when, you know, I think Retief and Ernie were kind of, you know, equals, and, hmm. and they fed off each other. Yeah, that's very cool. And, um, I mean, if we look at your, your 1969 year, it was absolutely phenomenal from a, a tournament standpoint. You won the Junior World Under 15 to 17 category, the SA Stroke play, actually the, the inaugural one, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, and the German and Brazilian amateurs. Can you point to anything that, that sort of clicked in your game, either a particular department of your game or, or mentally that, that helped you to that success? You know, um, a few months before uh, the end of 1968, we played the Northern Transvaal Amateur. And uh, I, played, I played seriously well. And I ended up winning it by, by a mile, by 12 or 13 shots. <laughs> and... Um, I think that's that's what kind of you know really was the turning point in, in terms of amateur. Where I realised you know I was good as pretty much most amateurs in South Africa, mm. and you know I was I just turned sixteen, and uh, there was a fellow in South Africa, a great golfing benefactor. His name was George Bloomberg. Okay. And George Bloomberg responsible for any golfer that you've ever heard of that you know came along at my time or before me. George Bloomberg was responsible in one way or another for them getting to where they were. And we called him Uncle George. And Uncle George sat down with my mother and had a chat to my mother. And he wanted me to go and play on the amateur circuit in Europe the next year. So we're talking about 1969. And of course, I was still at school. I was I just done standard nine. And uh, my mother wouldn't have it. My mother said, not a chance. We've sent Dale to a private school and he's going to finish school because you know we that he finishes against his matric and everything golf can come after that hmm. and eventually uncle george argued with my mother for for a good bit of time and eventually he said to her, he said listen glenn because that was her name he said listen glenn he said even if dale stays at school for 10 more years he's never <laughs> going to be clever <laughs> we know he can play golf so let him go and play on the european amateur and that was it you know i went to play on the amateur uh, amateur circuit the next year from the time I was 16, all I did was play golf. 
I mean, there was, you know, there was no, I didn't go to school. I didn't bother with that because I was never going to be clever. So I didn't bother with school. And all I did was play golf. So I had a huge advantage. And, you know, I had my father right on the doorstep who taught me to play. I had a golf course right on the doorstep so I could play and practice whenever I wanted to. Hmm. I mean, it, it was, you know, it was uh, just very fortunate. Yeah, I'd imagine that. Um, let's just see what's, oh, okay, cool. Um, no, I'd imagine sort of having that, you know, as you say, having SWAT Corps so in, in such close proximity and having that sort of facility at your disposal must have definitely helped helped you a hell of a lot. Sorry, Craig, I'm not hearing you at the moment. No, it's fine. Um, can you hear me now? I'm not sure what's happened. Um, I've lost you. Uh, let's actually try and sort this out. You see, sorry, let me just see if I can. Uh, can you can you hear me now? So, Dale Lily is saying that she can hear both of us. Um, can you can you not hear a thing? Sorry about this, guys. We are working on it. Hopefully, it'll be resolved soon. Um, sorry, just bear with us. Well, sorry about this. Um, hopefully, Dale will rejoin ASAP. Um, it's quite strange. It's never actually happened before. So, bear with us. Ah. Cool. Is that ah, a little bit go. better? Sorry, I'm not hey, sure what happened there. No stress, no stress at all. Um, yeah, so that's actually quite quite interesting that you that you say that. It's I suppose it's every mother's nightmare to to have their their child take that leap of faith, but it certainly worked out. Um, I mean, in in 1970. You just, yeah, again, just continue to go from strength to strength, winning, defending your SA stroke play title and also winning the, the Scottish amateur. Would you say that given all of your amateur success, you, you felt added pressure when you did turn pro? No, not really. You know, it was, it was always in the plan that I was going to turn professional and, uh, 
you know, I mean, from the time I was whew, a kid, I mean, from the time I was 10 or 11, I mean, I just imagined myself playing on, you know, on the big tour, you yeah. know, playing as a professional golfer against Gary Player and, and all the best yeah. players around at that time. So you know, it was just kind of the next step for me. It, it, there wasn't a lot of pressure for me. Uh, you know, I, uh, in fact, uh, it's quite funny, but uh, the very last tournament I played as an amateur was at uh, East London Golf Club. It was the Interprovincial. And my very last game I played against Western Province. And I played against Roy Jaber, who beat me like a drum. <laughs> so I lost the very last game I ever played as an amateur golfer. And then, uh, you know, obviously I turned pro and, uh, and uh, yeah, you know, I, got, I was very, very lucky because when I turned pro, the very first tournament I played in South Africa was the Newcastle Open and I won it. And then when I, I played the rest of the circuit here and I played pretty well on the circuit, then went overseas in April and the very first tournament I played that in overseas was the Spanish Open and I won that. What? So, I mean, you know, a dream start. You know, you couldn't actually, you couldn't actually dream for anything better to happen. And and what does it what does it mean to you to have that Spanish Open record? Because obviously you were the youngest winner in, in tour history. What did it mean uh, for you to or to you to have that you know stand until I think it was two thousand and nine? You know, you know, it, it's funny because you know the only time I kind of even thought about it was when it started to come up on television. You know, when we started watching the European tour on television and suddenly, you know, these stats would come up, you know, youngest mm. ever winner, Dale Hayes. And, you know, I hadn't thought about it before that for 20 years. It never entered my head. I mean, yes, you know, I suppose if I had thought about it, I would have thought that I, I probably did have the record. But there were a couple of records I had that I didn't like either. You know, so, I, you, know, re, you know, some records are good and some records are bad. I mean, I had the record in the World Match Play Championship that they used to play at Wentworth. And I had the record for getting the biggest beating in the world match play. And that record stood for 25 years or something. I got beaten, got beaten 11 and nine by Tom Watson. So I've actually, I've sort of been um, wrestling with whether or not to bring that up, because I don't know how you would, how you'd <laughs> feel about it. But- um, You know, the one thing about golf is this game teaches you to lose. And you know, it, it, Tom, uh, Jack Nicholas, who in my opinion is the greatest golfer that's ever lived. Jack Nicholas lost 92% of the tournaments that he played in. Okay? John McEnroe yeah. won 92% of the matches that he played in when he was the best in the best tennis player in the world. Yeah. So, you know, golf is very different. You learn to lose in golf. Yes. You know, and yes. so, you know, I guess I've been mean, and uh, um, you know, fortunately, I, I won a few as well. So mm. I think it all evens out at the end. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely does. So as we've so emphatically established, you, you clearly weren't overawed at all by, by the big occasion. And in, 19, in 1975, you, I'm sure you realized every, every tour pro's dream by, by winning the, um, the Order of Merit. And, and I, I think 23, if I'm not mistaken. Again, what, what is it like to, you know, have that sort of level of success come so, so, well, so early in, 
and your career? You know, uh, I played uh, in uh, 1971 was when I turned professional. I went over and mm. played in uh, the European Tour. Yeah. And the European Tour actually officially started in 1972. So 1971 wasn't actually part of oh, okay. what is today officially. But, and it, yeah. it's quite interesting because players like Harold Henning, who won a ton of tournaments in, on, you know, in Europe, doesn't mm. get credit for any of those tournaments that he won before 1972. Dennis Hutchinson won this won the French Open. He doesn't get credit for that. You know, it's kind of a quite a crazy situation. But anyway, so 1972, the the, the tour officially started, and uh, I in 1972 I I had a sort of a reasonable year. I didn't have a great year in 1972, but Interesting, interesting you bring you bring Sevi up because you quite famously beat him by eleven in the in the French Open. What what was it like to to compete against him in the early part of his career? You know, again, again, funny enough, our, our careers crossed paths for the first time at Rondebosch Golf Club in Cape Town. Sevi played really? his first ever tour in South Africa. No, people don't realize that, but the first time he ever played on a tour was right here in South Africa in 1974, the end of 1974. And he came out with his brother, Manuel, and said he couldn't speak English in those days, so Manuel kind of came out as his translator. And he was a, Manuel was a good player as well. And uh, I played the last round of the Western Province Open with him at Rondebosch that year. And at the end of the round, we came off the golf course and Manuel said to me, he said, uh, he said, my brother Sevi is a champion, eh? I said, yeah, he's going to be a champion. You couldn't argue. You could see that he was just, he was special. He was different. There was something about him that was just different. And I, you had the same feeling when you saw, you know, four, about four years later, the first time I saw uh, Nick Fowler play, I had the same mm. feeling. I had the same feeling when I saw They were just a little, there was something about them that was different. You know, there was yeah. something... You know, I don't know what that special quality is, but Jack Nicklaus has got a Gary Play, has got a Tom Watson's got it. Today, mm. obviously, uh, Ernie, Ernie certainly had it. Uh, uh, has got it. Um, so, you know, there's just something that makes him a little bit different. And uh, Sevi certainly had that. Sevi could not have been nicer to me. Sevi was unbelievable to me. I never, I played a lot of golf with him in tournaments and, mm. and I, I never, ever had a problem with him. He was, a, I thought he was wonderful. He had a lovely sense of humor. He was a terrific player. Uh, he was kind on the golf course. He he was uh, he was considerate to 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 his fellow players because obviously 
You know, he knew, we knew that people had come out to watch him play. They didn't care yeah. about us. <laughs> They'd come to watch Sevi, especially in the late 70s and, and into the 80s. So uh, he was very considerate. And, and I have said, I, I, for me, it couldn't have been a nicer guy on tour. It's it's super super refreshing that you that you say that because I listen to a lot of podcasts and I've heard recently a lot of stories of guys saying that during Ryder Cups and things like that he he would get into the habit of like coughing on backswings and and things like that at, at crucial <laughs> crucial times. So it's, it's no, very no, cool Sebi, Sebi, you know you know Sebi, Sebi didn't like didn't like the Americans. Hmm. Okay, and the, the fact that you know, I mean, didn't like anybody, and Sebi went over to, to America because Sebi didn't like them when the came out of cup. Sebi, as I say, these guys are different. Sebi would do yeah. things to win, and and no question, Sebi got no question. And uh, one of the tricks, yeah, was he, he would he would cut a little girl <coughs> like this on a guy's backswing. You know, it was one of his one of his little little tricks that he would do. As I say, he never ever did anything like that with me. He never he couldn't have been nicer on the golf course than he, than when I played with him. That's that's very cool to hear. So it's interesting. I noticed that you were a serial winner of of national opens. You won the. Again, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but the French, the Italian, the Swiss, the South African, I think even the Colombian in in 1980, according to to good old Wikipedia, which which of those victories are you the most proud of? Well, you know, I think winning your your own national open is always going to be very special. Hmm. And you know, when I won my, when I won the, when I won it, obviously Gary played and Tony, Tony Jackson played and Bob Charles played, a whole bunch of really top players played in it. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was obviously very special. But you know, that French Open also was very special to beat Sebi by 11 shots, you know, to beat him by three holes. That's what I always used to say. I only beat him by <laughs> three holes, Sebi. I only beat you by three holes. And uh, he used to laugh. He used to, he thought it was very funny. But, uh, I would say probably the South African Open. I mean, if I had to look back, I would have been uh, very unhappy if I hadn't had the South African Open on my CV. Mm. Who did you who did you beat to that particular title? Sorry, I missed that. No, I said, um, who did you beat to the South African Open title when you won? Dale, can you can you hear me? Ah, oh, now I can hear you. Yes. Okay, epic. No, so I said, which? I said, um, who did you beat? Who did you beat to that South African Open title? Well, I was in a playoff with John Faree in the end at Houghton Golf Club. And okay. in those days, it was an 18-hole playoff. So the tournament finished on Saturday. You weren't allowed to play on the Sunday. So we had to come back on the Monday and golf. And, uh, yeah, so, so it took me five rounds to win it. But 
certainly, as I say, that is, uh, is huge for me. If you ever go to Houghton Golf Club, you'll see there's actually a big photograph of all the winners of the South African Opens that were played at Houghton. And just, I'm going off the subject here, but the, the picture was taken, I don't know, uh, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. So nowhere near when I won the Open. Okay, you know, 20 something, 30 something years afterwards. Yeah. Uh, you can't believe how many people have come to me and said, you know, Dad, I saw that picture of you at Houghton. You've hardly changed since you won that South African Open. Meanwhile, it's a new picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's great i think just as long as you don't tell them that at all that's 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 great <laughs> but um yeah i'm, I'm curious because i also noticed quite an interesting phenomenon where in spite of all your success in europe from a major standpoint you only ever played in the masters on the open can yes. you can you explain why why that is well, you know, in, in, in when I played, um, the American majors, the only way you could play was to go and pre-qualify for the US Open. The PGA, you couldn't pre-qualify for or anything like that. You know, the PGA went strictly on the American money list. So if you didn't play in America, you couldn't get into the PGA. And the American, you, the American Open or the US Open, you had to mm. go and pre-qualify for. So the only one that you really had a chance to play was the Masters. It's interesting because I got invited for the first time after I led the order period. And then I played and I missed the cut the first year, but they invited you, gave you a second chance. So they invited me back the next year. The next year I finished in the top, uh, the, the, the rule was a top 25, but invited back. Okay. So I finished in the top 25, but invited back for the third time. So I played the Masters three times. But then in 1978, I finished second in the European order merit. But I never got invited back to the Masters. <laughs> so, you know, quite interesting. You know, the Masters were strictly by invitation in those days. The Open yeah. Championship, obviously, the very first year, 1971, I pre-qualified. I had a pre-qualify. Okay. And I played the pre-qualified at a golf course called Heskett. And I shot 64 in the one round, so I pre-qualified for that. And, in fact, I was sixth going into the last round. And shot, 70, shot two over par in the last round and ended up 17th. But that got me into the next one. And then I just kept, you know, kept going. So I never, ever had a pre-qualifier for the Open again. So I was always exempt for the Open Championship. So I was very fortunate from that point of view. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty pretty cool tournament to to be able to go back to year in and year out. That's, that's very cool. Out of, out of interest, you mentioned that, um, you know, you needed to the, – the PGA was based off the, um, off the U.S. money list. What are your, I don't know if you heard about what um, I want to say Paul Azinger said about um, Fleetwood not having won in, in America and yet having won a few times, I think it's four or five times on quote unquote that tour. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Well, you know, I suppose quite rightly, you know, the Americans believe that their tour is, is the only tour. And, and it is the biggest tour in the world. It has the best players in the world. Um, but, you know, I, I think it was kind of beneath him to belittle the European tour and, and mm. to belittle it, especially when, you know, they, they haven't done that well in the Ryder Cup for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, you know, it was a bit silly for him to say that. And I, I'm not sure it came out the way he would have liked it to come out. Mm. 
You know, I think he, he probably came out a bit harsher than he did. But, you know, Europe have produced some wonderful players for a very long time. You know, from the days uh, uh, way back when they... I'm talking about now from the point of view of going to America. Tony Jacklin, Peter Oosterhaus. And from those yeah. days then came Faldo, Lyle, Woosner, Bevy, Bernard Langer. You know, Europe have produced a lot of terrific players. And, you know, from those days, they've always had, you know, a few of the best players in the world. Okay? But America, it's always has had and, and probably will have, you know, for a while yet. I, I firmly believe that, that um, we're going to see a big change because of the Asian company, countries coming through. We've yes. seen so many really good Japanese players, Korean players coming through. And I think that that's going to make a difference to, you know, to the leaderboards big time in the next 10 years. Hmm. So it's interesting. I've actually got a, got a question here from Bernard Babis, who says, is it true that Gary Player said you would never make it on the US tour? That is true. He did. You know, Gary, uh, Gary was dead against any of us going to play in America. You know, he kind of, I think, wanted kind of, a, you know, America for himself. I'm, maybe, I'm not sure what his reasons were. But in my time, you know, he, he, he kind of, his advice for all of us was to stay away from America. And the only person who didn't listen to him was Bobby Cole. You know, I, I stayed away mainly from America. Hugh Bayocchi never, ever went to America until the Champions Tour. John mm. Bland never went to America. Simon Hobland never went to America. So, you know, we, we kind of did listen, you know, to, to what Gary said. Um, but we were also, you know, it was a very time then. And, and I think this is very important is because we didn't have television. Yeah. So we never saw how, how Americans played. Okay, so, you know, in our minds, you know, Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, Lee Trevino, those players that were playing really well in my time, um, you know, were streets ahead of any, any other players in the world. And the only time we ever got to see them was at the Open Championship. Mm. So you said earlier, you know, I was never overawed. When I got to the Open, I usually was because oh, the really? Americans were there. You know, yeah. so it was suddenly, it was different. The Americans had come to the Open Championship. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think a lot of that was to do with because on how it was to play in America and all that sort of thing. And, and listen, he was quite right, eh? And it's, nothing's changed. I mean, even today, you know, America's the hardest tour in the world to make it in. You make it in America, you are one of the best golfers in the world. No question about that. You know, Louis, Charles, they, you know, they've done really well in America. You know, they haven't won maybe as many tournaments as we hoped they'd win, but they've mm. done really well. And, yeah. you know, it was, only, it was only really when Nick Price went that that whole thing changed. Nick Price changed it. He was the guy who was instrumentally changing it. Mm. That's, yeah, that's actually very interesting. That I didn't actually know that about, I didn't know a player had said that. So that's, that's really interesting. But I think, I mean, looking at your record, I think you made 41 starts in, in the States and had, it was 12 top 25s, which isn't, I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at. I think you, you also had a second place finish somewhere along the line as well. Yeah, I finished, I finished second in the Florida Citrus Open, which today is called the Armour Invitational. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, I played okay in America, but I, you know, I didn't play as well as I would have liked to when I, when I played over there. I never felt that I, I played as well in America as I played in Europe. I played the best golf I ever played was in Europe. No question about that. I played better in Europe than I even played in South Africa. 
Yeah. So I'm. I, um, I, I really enjoyed the, the bad. Um, you know, I enjoyed those sort of things because, you know, everybody else was struggling. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed the fact that, that, you know, I could sort of make hay while, while everybody else was struggling. It's, um, I think, something that, that I've wanted to know for a while is how did the, how did the American crowds respond to you um, during tournaments? Yeah, I, you know, I never had a problem. Gary had some problems with the anti-apartheid. Uh, uh, people, but uh, I never had any problems when I played in America at all. I had more problems in Europe than I had in America, as far as that went. But uh, you know, I never had any problems with crowds, with golfing crowds anywhere. It was the non-golfing people that we had problems with. You know, that was because of the apartheid uh, issues that that were prevalent in those days. But um, I never had any problem with Americans at all. You know.